Welcome to Stock Stories, episode And then from there, as an investor, we can determine if it makes sense to make an investment in that company from that point forward. And then also another component of this show is mental models. What are the thought processes necessary to be successful, not just in investing, but in our lives? This is something inspired by Charlie Munger, the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. If you and I can master about 100 or so really big mental models in life, we are going to be so much more wise and so much smarter in our thought processes. And we can just make better decisions because we're drawing from a philosophy of core concepts and ideas that just lead to much more optimal outcomes. And so when we combine that philosophical side of the mental models with the pragmatic side of digging into annual reports and digging into the business models of real companies, we have this really powerful combination and we become better investors for it. And that's what I want to help you do. I want to help you become a better investor. And today we are going to go through another company today. One of the goals of this podcast is to go through every single company in the S&P 500. I've always wanted to know like what exactly makes the economy tick? Like what what are these companies doing? Um, of course they're the big names like Apple and ExxonMobil and Microsoft and Amazon. You know the big ones that you hear about all the time on the news. But there are also so many other companies that play a really big role in our daily lives that are just kind of in the background too. And I want to highlight those companies as well. So we're going to take a full look at all 500 companies in the S&P 500. And yes, it's going to take years for me to do this, but we're already well on our way less than two years into this podcast. And I'm really thankful for the feedback you guys have been giving me from time to time about the episodes and yeah, let's just keep going. So let's just get into it. We've got another company for you today. This company is a large medical healthcare company and it took me a little bit while to analyze it and really understand the moving parts because there's so much going on and it's just a different type of company than one I've studied in the past, but hey, that's how we grow, right? So I have the analysis for you today, and let's just get into it now. Let's talk about Centene Corporation.
Centene Corporation, ticker symbol CNC. Centene Corporation started off as a nonprofit Medicaid plan back in the 80s. In 1984, it was started by a woman named Elizabeth Brin, known as Betty Brin. And she was a former hospital bookkeeper, and she started this company in the basement of a family hospital in Milwaukee as a way to help Medicaid patients cover their health insurance costs. And basically, this is a company that pays for medical care for primarily Medicaid and Medicare patients, but has also expanded to commercial health insurance, to serving members of the military through TRICARE, serving uh, people in correctional facilities. And yeah, this is basically a healthcare company. It's a health insurance company, but they really specialize on Medicaid and Medicare. And we'll get into some of the details of that a little bit later. But this business was started really small and actually not that long ago, back in the 80s. And over time, they expanded. By 1996, they had expanded into Indiana. And shortly after, they moved their headquarters to St. Louis, Missouri, and became Centene Corporation. So this started small, but very quickly, the business model of this company emerged as being a healthcare provider that gradually grew and grew by swallowing up other small healthcare providers in different areas of the country. So by now, it's the early 2000s, Centene Corporation serves over 235,000 members, and they became publicly traded in that year, in 2001, and their revenue was over $300 million. So a relatively sizable company already at this time, and they were just serving people in different geographic areas of the country who needed Medicaid and Medicare coverage. So they started going on an acquisition spree. And by 2004, they had over $1 billion in revenue. So think about that. They went from just over $300 million in 2001 to in 2004, they had over a billion. So they literally tripled their revenue in three years. Wow, think about that. That is massive growth. And that just goes to show you the consolidation within this industry. I mean, there are over 900 health insurance providers in America, but that number is quickly shrinking as these companies swallow each other up through acquisitions. And we'll get into more of the market share later. But basically, this company, that's been the main source of their growth is through acquisitions. So they acquired uh, not just other Medicaid and Medicare providers, but they acquired other types of adjacent businesses in the medical space. So they've acquired a nurse triage company around this time, a behavioral health services company, a vision management company, a pharmacy benefits manager, and the list just goes on and on. They acquired a company called CaseNet in 2009, And CaseNet is interesting because it's a care management software company. So it's literally like a tech company that serves local governments and people in the legal and medical fields, but it's part of this larger umbrella of Centene Corporation. So they had all these different acquisitions that are related to the services they provide in some sort of specialty or niche. 
Now, in the 2010s, they continued expanding their health plans across the U.S. So they continued spreading outward from the Midwest all across the country. And by 2013, Centene Corporation had over $10 billion in revenue. And guess how many members? By this time, they had over 2.7 million members. This is incredible growth. And as you know, if you live in the United States, you know there have been massive changes to the way that healthcare is brought to individuals and to families over the past decade or so in this country. We had the Affordable Care Act, which came about near the end of President Obama's second term, and that radically changed the marketplace. Uh, effectively, health insurance companies cannot deny coverage to people. Uh, they must serve them in some way. And there's a whole lot of details around that law and set of laws. And I'm not going to get into the specific details of a lot of that. But suffice it to say that you have a combination of different factors leading to this major trend of a lot of people needing insurance. And so um, that's basically how this company came to be so big. Now, in 2014, they expanded internationally. So they entered the Spanish and UK markets. So there's a small international presence there, but this is still very much a US-based firm. Now, the purpose of this company is, in their eyes, a company that focuses on individual health by providing a wide range of medical solutions. And when I say a wide range of medical solutions, I mean wide range. I mean, you heard about the acquisitions I mentioned just a moment ago, pharmacy, vision, uh, all sorts of things. And another big acquisition is coming right now. So in the first half of 2020, Centene is set to acquire WellCare Health Plans. And we'll get into a little bit more about that acquisition in a moment. But the basic business model is to provide Medicaid, Medicare, and other health services. So what they do is they'll charge premiums. They get paid by the federal government and state governments that fund these plans. And then they use their increasing scale to maintain market share and basically pay for their members' medical costs. So just like an auto insurance company, you know, if you have to make a claim because of a car accident, you are paying premiums to your auto insurance company, and then eventually they pay out some money when you do have an accident, and they keep that difference. And the money that they have in premiums that they can then invest um, when you during a time when you don't have an accident is called float, and they can make money off of the float. This is the same model that Warren Buffett used at Berkshire Hathaway to amass large sums of money. It's kind of another form of leverage when you have that float there. And so this is kind of the business model that Centene has. They basically are an insurance company that operates on pretty low margins, but they have massive revenues to make up for it. So they do end up growing their profits over the long term. So market share. I mentioned scale to increase market share. Well, what are their competitors? Who are their competitors? Their main competitors are Anthem, United Healthcare, Humana, Health Service Corporation, and CVS. So those companies that I just mentioned 
combined take up about 38% of the market in that healthcare space. Um, but right now, Centene has just 4% market share. But remember that WellCare acquisition that I mentioned? Well, WellCare is a big enough of an acquisition target that it will give a combined 7.5% market share in the industry, which will make it the fourth largest in the United States by, uh, by market share. So that is something to think about. Um, this is a company that's just in a phase of massive growth. It's just growing, growing, growing. And for a company that's already worth tens of billions of dollars, it's pretty impressive to see revenue growing like this now on the surface. And we'll get to uh, some of the numbers in a moment, which will show us maybe a little bit of a different story. But just to paint the picture a little bit clearer for you, what, what exactly are Medicaid and Medicare? Maybe you're not familiar with what those terms mean. Well, Medicaid is a form of insurance that is provided by basically a government program for people who are, who are low income or low assets. And so basically, if you're, uh, if you're poor, if you have a low income, then you would qualify for this Medicaid program so that you can still get your health insurance needs and your medical needs met um, regardless of the fact that you don't have a lot of money to spend on that. So this market is huge. In 2017, this was a $580 billion market and it's projected to increase to a trillion dollars in 2026. So in less than a decade from now, we're gonna see that market grow significantly. And then you also have the Medicare market. Medicare is for people who have reached a certain age. So basically the elderly. So if you're 65 years or older, you would qualify for Medicare. And in 2017, that market was worth over $700 billion. And by 2026, it's set to double to over $1.4 trillion. So that is a lot of money going around paying for people's medical expenses. And you can see why there are a lot of competitors in this space because it's such a high need. It's such a strong need in America right now to have health insurance providers. And so combine this, these two markets alone will amount to almost $2.5 trillion as a marketplace. And so you can see how even a smaller market participant can be very profitable while serving, serving people who really need something significant like healthcare. Now, one of the downsides of this industry is that it's highly regulated and it's pretty complex. You have state laws to contend with, you have federal laws to contend with. You've also got this healthcare marketplace that exists now where people can go and shop for healthcare plans within their state. And there are also various sub-businesses within the space. So as I mentioned, Centene owns a pharmacy benefit manager. They own vision, vision plan providers and all sorts of things. So that's one of the downsides is that there's a lot of moving parts here. It's not a clean, simple business where the business is primarily selling one type of product or service and you understand what it is very clearly. I always like to go back to the example of Hershey. Like, you know what Hershey does. Hershey sells chocolate. There you go. Now, they also sell things like popcorn and beef jerky now, too. But really, that's not too complicated to understand. 
But Centene, I mean, insurance itself is somewhat of an abstract concept. So at least for me, it's a little bit more difficult to wrap my head around exactly how it makes money. But it is clear to see that they basically make money through insurance and the federal government basically funds their operations in order to operate in different territories with different plans. So Medicaid costs are 90% funded federally in the year 2020 and thereafter. Uh, So when the Affordable Care Act was passed into law several years ago, there was sort of a scaling factor of how much the federal government would fund these programs, and they've gradually decreased it from 100% down to now 90%, which will be basically in perpetuity. And so you basically have government-subsidized health care. So this business is funded by Uncle Sam. And, you know, it's kind of great because Uncle Sam is not going to go out of business, right? I mean, the main risk, though, is that regulations can change, laws can change. You could have a lot of political, a lot of political will turn the tide the other way, depending on who's in the White House or who's in Congress. So it just depends on... The political environment, I think, a little bit more than some other types of businesses. So, um, just a snapshot of how the business is funding their growth. So, in 2018, they bought a company called Fidelis Care for 3.6 billion dollars. So, this was a pretty big acquisition. Now, how did they fund that acquisition? Well, 2.8 billion of it came from issuing equity, so issuing shares of stock. And $1.8 billion of it came from issuing debt, so they borrowed money. So this is a common pattern in Centene's acquisitions. They will go after smaller companies than them in a different region or some different territory that they're not as involved with, and they'll buy them out, and they'll use a combination of equity and debt. Now, this is okay, but the problem is it's not organically funded growth. They're literally asking their stockholders and their banks to pay for their growth. It's not necessarily self-funded. They're not using the internally generated cash from the business to buy these other businesses, which is kind of a shame, as we will see in a moment, because the earnings per share just doesn't necessarily keep up because of that. So right now, this is a massive business. Their total membership is over 18 million members. Now, the breakdown of that, we can see that it's mostly Medicaid. So 8 million of those 18 million are Medicaid members. 2 million are commercial insurance members. 3 million are military. And then the rest are other types of insurance customers. So this is still primarily a Medicaid-funded business. Let's turn our attention now to the balance sheet. Let's get into the financials because all this growth sounds great, but you know, the numbers have to add up at the end of the day, right? So the business right now, they've basically, uh, they, they tripled in size in the past several years. So for example, in, well, not tripled, actually, I don't know what the correct term for it is, but they've increased in size by about 10 times since 2012. In 2012, they had just 1 billion in cash on hand. Now they have 10 billion. They had about 3 billion in assets. Now they have 30 billion in assets. Now the thing is their liabilities have increased a lot though. So in 2012, they had just 500 million in long-term debt. Well, that's ballooned to over 7 billion. 
So definitely more than a, a factor of 10. But still, things are relatively proportional as far as the balance sheet goes. It's just a business that has grown massively. But is this growth making money? That's the next question that we have to ask. So then to answer that question, we turn our attention to the income statement. What's the revenue look like? Well, in 2012, this is a business that was making a little bit less than $9 billion in sales. And in 2018, Centene was making over $60 billion in sales. Now, in just six years, they were able to increase their revenue by over seven times. I mean, this is incredible. So they've been able to make a lot more money on the revenue side, but their expenses also have increased. So their operating expenses in 2012 were just under $9 billion. And in 2018, they were $58 billion. So you can see that the margins are pretty small for this business. In fact, their net income in that year of 2012 was effectively nothing. And in 2018, it was just just around $900 million, which for a company pulling in 600 or sorry, 60 billion in revenue, that's pretty small. But nonetheless, it is still profitable. Now, how does this translate into our earnings as potential owners of the business? Well, we have to look at the diluted earnings per share. How much for every share that we own of this business, what is the profit that we're getting? Well, I looked to 2011 just because 2012 had virtually no profit there. So it was kind of a bad number to compare with. So in 2011, Centene shareholders earned $2.12 in earnings. And in 2018, they earned $2.26 in earnings. That's a seven-year gap, and your earnings per share has only increased that much? What's going on there? That's a 1% annual growth rate in earnings when revenue has been growing well over 30% a year for the past several years. Well, that just means that you're diluting your shareholders um, to make acquisitions over and over and over and over again. And Centene has acquired this massive size, which has allowed it to make some more money, but they're giving it all away in order to fund the next acquisition. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, let's go to the cash flow statement. How do things look there? Because remember, the income statement only tells part of the story as far as income and expenses. How is cash actually moving through the business? Well, here's one of the encouraging things. In 2012, Centene made $270 million in operating cash flow. And in 2018, they made just over a billion dollars in operating cash flow. Now, if you do the math on that, it's a 28% annual increase in operating cash. So they are definitely making money. That's good. The investing cash, it's ebbed and flowed over the years, but Usually, at this point, Centene is spending billions of dollars on acquisitions. So in 2018, they spent over $4.5 billion on mostly acquisitions. As far as the financing cash goes, it's increased proportionally as well. It went from $200 million in 2012 to well over $4 billion in 2018. And I wanted to look at where that was going. So about half of that $4, 4500000000 went to issuing stock. And about half of it went from debt, just like we learned earlier from that example of the Fidelis Care acquisition. So this is a business that continually borrows money, continually issues stock in order to 
build itself up. Now, this is also a company that does not pay any dividends, so no components to return there. And then as far as actual share dilution, I want to take a look at this because if they're issuing a lot of shares, I want to know by how much. How much is it really hurting you or I as a potential shareholder? And the answer is, it's hurting a lot. I mean, in 2013, Centene had just 52 million shares outstanding. And in 2019, earlier this year, they had well over 400 million shares outstanding. That's 41% dilution per year. So you can see why the earnings per share has hardly grown at all, even though the business itself has grown massively. It's because all the growth is coming from diluting shareholders. So keep that in mind. Right now, the stock is trading at around $52 a share. So based on the most recent earnings, most recent trailing 12-month earnings are over $3 a share. So the price-earnings ratio is actually around 16 as a multiple. So it doesn't seem too bad. But also keep in mind that you have this massive acquisition coming up in 2020 where a lot of stock is going to get issued and more debt is going to be put on the balance sheet and that's going to dilute shareholders again. And so earnings per share will probably fall once again, even though the absolute dollars of the business will be increasing, the EPS won't necessarily be increasing as well. So I'm not really sure how to project the cash flows that much with this business. I mean, there's just too much dilution. I, I, you know, as a, as a potential shareholder, I want management to be a good steward of my capital. Like you got to protect that. And when I buy shares of your company and you say, well, I really think we need to buy this new company over here. I'm going to go sell more shares to some other people and dilute your piece of the ownership pie. I, I don't get excited about that, especially for a business this large already, because uh, that just goes to show that they're not as efficient at generating cash enough to fund their own acquisitions. You know, I want, I want the business to fund its own growth ideally. But on the flip side, I do see why they're doing this. They're trying to establish dominance as a market leader. And then once the industry has more or less stabled into a few big players, then that's probably when the cash will really start rolling in because they won't be spending so much money acquiring. They could probably put that money toward dividends or paying off debt, buying back shares, what have you. So I think the end game of this might be very good for shareholders. But even though this stock has performed very well in the past several years, I think that ultimately now may not be the best time because they're still in this acquisition spree and as an owner, you're going to keep getting diluted. But uh, the encouraging thing is that there probably aren't that many more deals to be done, frankly. Uh, it's, it's already moving up the ranks as one of the top four, top three in size as far as market leaders of healthcare plans. So once you get that level to that level, you can't really buy out too many other people. So that may be something that's encouraging. So all in all though, I, I think it's a little bit too complex of a business with, with management that's just doing a lot of acquisitions. And um, I, I don't necessarily have a lot of confidence in that, but I do recognize that there's a stable business model here. The federal government funds almost the entire operation. So that there's something to be said about that. Uh, there's some stability of revenue generation there but yeah it's a different space it's a totally different space from other industries so i think it's worth looking at we're learning from and uh yeah but i i'm not 
overly compelled from the investor perspective of, of this company and their financials. But very interesting, though. Um, they have massive revenue growth, but they're already a huge company. And they do make profits, and they have been growing, but they just dilute their shareholders so much. So watch out for that. That is all I have for you today. That is uh, today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. I really appreciate it. If you want to help out the show in some way, it would really help if you leave a review on your favorite platform like Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. Thanks for helping out the show and for listening. I'll be back next week with another company and we're just going to keep on going. I love doing these episodes for you guys. And if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at alex at stockstoriespodcast.com. Just got an email this morning that I saw. Thank you so much for, uh, for the notes. You know who you are. And yeah, we'll be back, uh, be back next week. Also Instagram at stock stories one that's stock stories and the number one if you want to talk to me on there so thanks and we'll see you next week Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.